Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, September 20th, we're studying Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 to 27. In today's text, the Lord details the penalties for many of the offenses against His holiness that might be committed by His people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Boisclair. Pastor Boisclair serves as interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Well, it's good to be here, as always especially uh, to, to sharpen my iron. <laughs> That's right. Today we get to sharpen our iron on Leviticus chapter 20. So talk to us a little bit about the book of Leviticus, themes that are important for us to keep in mind, and any context that will particularly help us with chapter 20 today. Yes. Um, in there, There's precious little uh, uh, narrative in here. It's mostly, it's mostly law. And uh, in this particular chapter, we have... Um, not only ceremonial law, but we also have moral law, and we also have civil or political law as well. They're sort of uh, entwined together. Um, and and uh, in this particular case, uh, the couple chapters before, they they pretty uh, the Lord through Moses uh, basically gave uh, his laws uh, about and, and and generally their their uh, moral uh, precepts that you're not supposed to uh, worship false gods, you're not supposed to commit uh, sexual immorality, uh, that you are, are also to be just. And, uh, um, and, and, and so in this particular passage or this particular chapter, he, he kind of brings in the penalties of, of uh, you know, and, and these penalties can be anywhere from being um, put to death and, and then having the remains burned, or, or also just simply a spiritual idea that God cuts people off from their people. Yeah, so we're going to encounter some familiar language here in this section of Leviticus to what we've read, especially in the last two chapters, but it is particularly the matter of penalties that comes into view in this chapter that wasn't necessarily detailed in the previous chapters. Uh, just by, by way of review, Pastor Boyce-Claire, you mentioned moral law, ceremonial law, civil or civic law. Could you just remind us of the distinction between those things again? Yes. Uh, moral law is the Ten Commandments, and so that's, that's what is, continues to be uh, valid for Christians today. Uh, and, and, and a lot of times uh, we, we've looked at what Luther said about not being uh, held to the specific uh, wording of the Ten Commandments, but I, I kind of uh, disagree with him because there, there is a time where our Lord Jesus Christ uh, basically enunciates uh, the uh, Ten Commandments or uh, the specific commandments so that, that those are definitely 
um, you know, valid or, or they, they are important for us as Christians. Uh, the ceremonial law, of course, is the law about sacrifice or the law about ritual purity or, um, you know, that they are to be uh, ritually clean or pure from uh, what is unclean or, uh, and, 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 there, and there is sort of a, a whole, uh, we, we would say like a, a system or a, of a cultic system of, of trying to remove um, what is ceremonial, ceremonially unclean from you. This was only valid for the Israelites and, and of course for the temple, uh, instit- the institution of the temple and the priesthood. And then you have the civil or political law. Uh, that is no longer valid for us because we have uh, we live in um, uh, a society, a government uh, in the United States where, where they have their own body of laws. Uh, in that particular case, it's, it's where uh, God's law calls on the political leaders. In, and, and in this case, it would be the people of the land. It's interesting, the different... Uh, interpretations of that from this particular text. Uh, from um, Kyle Dalich, you get the political leaders as being just the common people that live in the land. But in uh, Dr. John Kleinig's Leviticus commentary, you have uh, those who are uh, the landed uh, landowners that, uh, you know, kind of enforce the law. And, and, and in this particular case, you're talking about a time in uh, the nation of Israel and Canaan before the kings, kings were established. All right. So with all those things in mind, that background in place, let's take a look at Leviticus chapter 20. Here is the text. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Moloch, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man, and will cut him off from among his people, because he has given one of his children to Moloch, to make my sanctuary unclean, and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Moloch, and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan, and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is a depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. 
they shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. That I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird, or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you shall be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. That's our text for today. That's Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 to 27. All right, Pastor Boyce Claire, there's a variety of material here. Maybe just give us a, a bird's eye view of this chapter. What, what, are we, what are we reading about here? What's the overarching theme? And then we can talk about specific sections and verses. Well, in help from uh, Dr. Kleinig, uh, he points out that uh, God is, has taken over this land, the land of Canaan, and um, in, in, in a sense that the people of God or his people are um, uh, a kingdom of priests and a special possession to him. And so in order to serve God in the land, they are not to... Uh, follow the practices of the Canaanites who used to live in that land. Uh, but what's interesting is, is there, there is a, a focus on uh, Moloch or Milcom, who is the god of the Ammonites. And what, what's rather interesting is, is the name uh, Molech is, is the name for king. So it, it, looking in uh, one of the uh, helps, uh, Molech is the Hebrew word for king written so as to be read with the vowels of the word that means a thing of shame, Bosheth. Uh, similar to uh, like Mephibosheth, uh, his, his original name was Meribal, but uh, because it had the name of the uh, pagan god Baal in it, they, they put the word Bosheth with it. So here was the, the name for king as uh, a Molech, which means uh, king of shame. Um, it, there is also the uh, practice of of um, uh, sacrificing the children to Molech through fire, um, and as uh, in Dr. Kleinig's commentary points out that Molech was a god of the underworld, and it was believed by the uh, 
the pagan uh, belief of the people of Canaan was that their ancestors, their ancestral spirits uh, were in control. And they, of course, wanted the people to practice uh, the uh, the sexual practices that are mentioned in this particular uh, text, as well as to eat the unclean animals. Um, and so it, what's rather interesting is, is, is this, uh, these laws are directed against the impurities of the people of Canaan at that time. So in, in, in other words, Molech is not in control. Now, obviously, as Scripture says, the the idols of the Canaanites uh, or the idols of the pagans are are not in existence as they think. But as we know from Scripture, they could be um, entities like demons that, of course, induce the people to do the things that they do. And so because they are now in God's land under God, they are to be holy, separated from sin as God himself is holy. So, as you said, much of this chapter then is going to detail things that the Lord wants his people to stay away from, especially because of its association with pagan practices. And that does come through very clearly, perhaps most clearly, in the first part of this chapter, which details the worship of the god Molech, known especially for the practice of child sacrifice. And it really, as you read through this chapter, it really strikes you just how much or how seriously the Lord takes this, because of the punishment that's given for this is certainly the, the worst of all the punishments that are described. There, none of them are particularly pleasant penalties, but this first one, the seriousness of, of putting this person to death, and then if you don't deal with him, you too are going to, to be punished. You really see the seriousness of this idol worship, and particularly the matter of child sacrifice. No, it's, what's interesting about the manner of this child sacrifice is, is uh, a son or daughter passing through the fire. Um, it, it was considered uh, a fire baptism. Um, it, it, if we look at uh, what uh, the two chapters before it says, "You shall not make your gods, or you shall not make an idol of cast iron." What what was believed to be the case here was. Um, Molech was an idol made of cast iron that uh, they would stoke a fire in it and then uh, make the idol red hot and they would take infants and and simply put it on put them on the lap of Molech and then of course you know they would be uh, sacrificed in that way it's just it's really graphic and a really really horrendous uh, for us to even imagine yeah, that's right. I mean, this is one of the most abominable practices of the Old Testament. Anytime it, it comes up, the Lord speaks against it in very strong language. And again, the, the penalty for it is very severe for that reason. I've, I've heard others, and I, I think rightly so, Pastor Boyce Claire, have, have made a, a modern-day application to the, the practice of abortion as, as seeing that as a perhaps a modern-day worship of pagan gods, that we would sacrifice our own children for the sake of, of our own happiness or, or whatever the, the case may be. And I've, I've often thought it very striking, but, but maybe something that we need to take a, a bit more seriously when it comes to, to the atrocities we see today. Oh, absolutely. I, I think uh, Dr. Kleinig, in his commentary, makes that connection. And, um, and, and then we, you know, even, even now, and I, 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 I just can't express my own horror at at the uh, uh, when they attack 
uh, the manner in which God has created us, which they, they call a binary uh, type of understanding where, where they, you have uh, children that are being, um, uh, it, it's virtual child abuse to give them special drugs that would, uh, with the idea that you can change their, their sex. Uh, from male to female or female to male or, or you know, it, it, it's just, uh, as you can see, you can apply this. And, and you notice how it, it's related to the first commandment. Uh, it, it begins by saying you, you will not, you know, you shall have no other gods before you. Well, in the case of these people, they are, they are worshiping Molech and, and in place of God. Although uh, some of the commentators say that what's, what's bad is that the children of Israel sometimes were persuaded that a god like Molech was the true god, and they would be worshiping uh, the true god with the, the, the customs of Molech in, in this particular case. But, it's, it, it, but there is also a situation where they, they, they consciously forsook uh, the true god in worshiping Molech. I'm glad you you brought in the first commandment to this matter, and clearly the first commandment is in place since we are talking about idolatry in this first section of Leviticus 20. I think it's important for us to remember the first commandment when it comes to the abominable practices that we see in our day, lest we think that it's only a matter of people's behavior. If, If only we can fix the laws to make them more according to what the Lord gives us in His Word, then that, that means our job will be done. That might be the, the way of thinking that we would be prone to fall into. And while it is certainly good for us to seek after just laws that protect the innocent and protect human life, which we know is good according to the Lord's Word, as Christians we should also keep in mind that the first commandment probably will never be enshrined in, in the law of our land, and yet for us, that is where it all comes back to, is the worship of the true God. So that when we keep, see people caught up in these sins, we, we remember it is a matter of the first commandment in which God is being worshipped, so that we, we approach them then with the love that would seek to bring them to the true God, and not only try to fix their behavior, but rather try to give them the, the faith in the one true God. Yes, uh, and... And that, that's uh, very important to remember in terms of the, the behavior is only the symptoms of the, of the sickness, uh, that it is a, a corruption. Uh, in, 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 in a sense, you know, they come across as saying, well, we're, we're only trying to be fair to all people and universal. And after, after all, you have to recognize the uh, distinction between church and state. And now, to some extent, that's true. Um, because we live in a, a, a plural society or pluralistic society in which there are people of many different cultures that live here. But, but when you have, and, and, and there used to be at least, you know, I'm almost 70 years old. I remember the day when, when the government seemed to be so much concerned about the well-being of people and, and, and children and uh, women and others. It was altruistic, that type of idea. But we've kind, it's kind of evolved into a uh, society and a culture of death and, and uh, that, that really doesn't care about uh, the welfare of, of people. Yeah, and, and again, I think the, as we see that in our society, that it, it has become a culture of death, what's helpful about a chapter like this is it reminds us of the religious roots of that problem. It's, it's not just a matter of people started doing the wrong thing, but there's a false belief behind it. There's a, a lack of faith in the true God. So that for us as Christians, 
part of our response to it, again, isn't only trying to work toward creating just laws, but it's especially proclaiming law and gospel, that people would come to the, the faith in the true God. That's where the root of the problem lies. A- absolutely. And, and it isn't, again, as Christians, uh, we, we do not feel that our enemies are flesh and blood, but, our, but, yes. but there are spiritual uh, forces of evil. That, and and you, in, in some of the things that happen on our day and age, we can see the, the hand of the devil and, and of uh, the demons in, in that respect. Um, and, and, and it isn't, it isn't, it shouldn't be considered, uh, you know, the, the, those who are uh, maybe left of center politically or philo- philosophically may think that uh, we're, we're like uh, ancient animists that saw spirits in, 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 you know, in other words, that we lived in a fairy tale type of reality. But, but we would call them back to reality and to see the, the harm that uh, some of their uh, beliefs and practices uh, foist on people. Yeah. Now, as, as you said, the, the, the enemy is not flesh and blood, but Satan and his demons, these are enemies who attack. And I think that, that very much connects to the next thing that comes up here in Leviticus chapter 20. The Lord speaks to his people about mediums and necromancers whoring after them. Uh, what's in view here? And, and again, talk about the, the significance, the importance of avoiding this. Yes, uh, obviously, uh, well, the pagan uh, Canaanites that lived in that land believed that their, when their ancestors died, their, their spirits would remain in the land that, that it was there. And that's why Molech, of course, is also a god of the underworld, as I mentioned before. And so in, in order to appease them, in order to uh, get advice from them, uh, there would be uh, persons who were probably possessed by these spirits that would uh, um, call up these spirits. Of course, they, they think of them as spirits of the dead. Uh, and, but, but uh, you know, a, even as if you look at uh, Christ's teaching with the uh, rich man and poor Lazarus in Luke, uh, you know, he, he basically says that those who have, have died cannot c- return from the dead. So when, when these mediums and these necromancers uh, claim that these are spirits of, of the people of the dead, they are probably demonic spirits that are, that are um, um, you know, taking on the, 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 you know, the form of the dead. Yeah, I mean, in the, the place in the scriptures where this especially comes up, perhaps you know, in, in Sunday school stories, is with King Saul when he seeks out a, a necromancer and tries to to conjure up up Samuel. Uh, there, I think, is what is First Samuel toward the end of that book. And again, yes. the Lord very clearly says, "Don't do that here." The Witch of Endor. Yes, and uh, you know, there, there's different there's different uh, views. Is did he actually communicate with Samuel or not? Right. But what's interesting, if you follow the uh, the account in there where Saul uh, goes to the witch at Endor, uh, that Samuel actually appears, uh, which scares the witch, and says, "You know, you must be King Saul, and this is Samuel." And 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 perhaps uh, maybe it would be a situation where God intervened and and caused Samuel to to appear. Uh, to him. You know, a lot of people criticize that uh, to say, well, Samuel probably would say to Saul, well, why don't you repent and why don't you try to make peace with David, and, and, uh, who, is, who you're persecuting, and, and, and try to 
come to terms with the Philistines uh, so that they don't destroy you. But again, um, you know, it, it, it just shows that that is not the way in which we can uh, determine what God's will is by consulting the dead or consulting uh, spirits in this way. And we, we shouldn't be uh, playing around with things like that. That's why things like Ouija boards or automatic writing or even, uh, shall we say, um, uh, you know, horoscopes as well. Uh, that, that, of course, in, in Scripture, at least in the King James Version, was called an observer of times. You know, we have the clear word of God, and we have uh, that God who loves us and, and wants to bring us to himself through Christ uh, has only the best intentions for us and has his will uh, in the written word. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this very much relates to the, the theme of Leviticus, of God's holiness, and especially the holiness of his name. I, I think about the way that Luther explains the second commandment in the catechism, and the, the using of satanic arts is, is forbidden, as he, as he describes it. I forget how it, how it formerly was, was trans. I think it's satanic arts is the way that it currently is. What was the, what was the older way of, of it speaking was, there? Uh, we, should, we should fear and love God that we may not curse, swear, use witchcraft. That's it. Lie yeah. and deceive by his name, uh, but uh, call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. That's the 1943 yeah. catechism. <laughs> that's right, yeah. So that's, I mean, that is, again, the second commandment has that very much in view, that the right use, the holy use of God's name is not to engage in these practices, but rather to seek his will in his word that he's given to us so very graciously. And, and what more do we need when we, ha we have his gifts? There's no need to go outside his will, his word. We can simply trust in what he has given. We're going to go ahead and take our break right there. We'll come back to more of Leviticus chapter 20 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor David Boisclair this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, September 20th. We're studying Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 to 27 with Pastor David Boisclair. He is the interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, prior to the break, we were talking both about the worship of Molech, which God forbids, as well as the turning to mediums and necromancers with God, which God forbids. In both of those cases, uh, the Lord describes going after them as whoring after them. Why is that a, an image that is often used in terms of idolatry in the Old Testament? Well, God compares his relationship with his people to the relationship between a husband and a wife. 
and uh, you know, in, in particularly in um, uh, Jeremiah 31, where it says that uh, I was a husband to them by the by the covenant that God had established with His people, was in a sense like a marriage. Even in the Christian church, we speak of ourselves as the bride of Christ. And so our relationship uh, with our gracious God is like that between a, he is the husband and, and we uh, corporately are the, the bride. And in, in doing this, uh, they, in, in whoring after uh, necromancers and uh, these false gods, they were uh, being unfaithful to um, their, their husband, to the true and eternal God and to the mar- marriage covenant that, he, that they had with him. Yeah, so that is an image that will often be used in connection with idolatry, especially in the Old Testament. Now, as the Lord continues to give his instructions to the people, describe the penalties for various offenses against his holiness, in verse 9, we come to one that maybe strikes us as a bit harsh. Anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death, because he has cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. This may, and especially in a day and age in which children are prone to speak very disrespectfully to their parents or about their parents. This may seem a bit harsh, but why, why is this the penalty described? What's so important about the fourth commandment? Well, um, you know, as, as Luther mentions in his catechisms, or large catechism probably, the, cat, the commandments are in order of, um, kind of in order of importance. Uh, which doesn't mean to see, a lot of times when I would uh, uh, teach my um, uh, in commun- uh, confirmation instruction uh, young people in church, I would say it's more serious matter for you to break the fourth commandment than you to break the fifth commandment, for instance. Uh, well, they'd say, well, my, uh, just simply disobeying my parents is not worse than killing somebody, is it? Well, that doesn't mean to say that killing somebody, uh, you know, in, in or murdering someone, as, as, it, as it's correctly, more clearly put in the fifth commandment, is, bad, is, is a lesser thing. It means that uh, sinning against our parents is even more serious. And, and in this particular case, it's, it's the... Um, the people of the land, of course, ha- perhaps had some kind of a practice of of cursing their parents. Um, you know, in other wo- in, in order to uh, maintain their control over over their lives and 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 so on. Uh, but this is something that God uh, took very very seriously. And and uh, not only it, what what's rather interesting is even for some of the uh, commandments like uh, uh, disobey or rather violating the Sabbath, they, people were also put to death. So um, you know God takes uh, His commandments very seriously in this case. Well, sure. I also yeah. wanted to mention too about blood guilt uh, that when it says their blood be upon them. This uh, the 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 thing was is if these people for doing these things are executed, and, and that that they, there should be no uh, um, sort of a vendetta or a blood feud that should be started between families. Their blood is upon them. They they are responsible for their own crime, and so uh, their family should not seek to take revenge on those who put them to death. That's that's what it means yeah. when it speaks about the blood their blood is upon them. Yeah, yeah. To the to the matter of the fourth commandment, you know, as you said the order of the commandments is important and the fourth is the the fourth commandment is the first within the second table of the law. 
So the, the first neighbors that God gives to us to love are our parents, and even not just love, but honor them. Luther makes that point in his yeah. large catechism as well. It's a command to honor. And so to, to hold them in that high regard is a, a wonderful God-given gift, and to despise that commandment of God, then, is to is to despise a very key commandment, because he intends, through our parents, to care for us, that, that our parents would be his masks, his his hands and, and feet to give us all of his good gifts. And so to despise them is to ultimately despise those that he has placed in our lives. And again, we should see the seriousness of that, certainly from all that, but even just from the fact, this is what the Lord says. And anytime the Lord says something, it's serious, he means it, and we should hold it in highest regard. When, when um, children are disrespecting and and. Uh, doing such a thing or such a horrible thing like cursing our parents, uh, you know, I mean, and, and of course, you know, you think maybe like in a formal sense where they call down, uh, you know, uh, evil upon their parents. Uh, but, you know, a lot of you might, might say like if they would uh, use foul language toward them and, and uh, that that's kind of the same thing. It is actually a sin against God himself, as you said, because our parents are uh, God's masks and hands that care for us. Hmm. Now, as the Lord continues in this chapter, we come to a section that deals especially with sexual immorality. And we've heard many of these sins discussed, especially in Leviticus chapter 18. Uh, there are a few things that, that are new, and again, the penalties are, are especially what's in view here. Uh, starting simply with the matter of adultery there in verse 10, which really then kind of covers the whole chapter, a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Uh, talk to us both about the good gift of God in marriage, and then why it is such a tragic thing when we abuse that gift to break the Sixth Commandment. The, the thing that, that uh, strikes one in our day and age is the separation of um, sexual relations from love in, in marriage. Uh, you know, God's intention is that uh, it, it, sexual relations are reserved for a man and a woman, a husband and a wife th- that are lawfully joined together in marriage, and and it is part of their uh, being united to one another in one flesh. That as as uh, Adam uh, said to of his wife Eve, she is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Uh, and what God, and then Christ says, what God has joined together and let no one separate. And, 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 and God has given the beautiful gift of sexual relations, uh, which, are, which are expressed in the, in, in the uh, marital union, uh, that, uh, that, that really draws the husband and wife together as one flesh. And when you separate or when you we say, well, it's just sex or it's not, it, 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 you know, you have to uh, distinguish uh, marriage from sex. And so I can just simply uh, have sex with wh- whoever or whatever I want uh, outside of my married life with my wife or my husband. That's when you have a very serious problem. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, you see the, the very serious nature here, that the matter of adultery is is given the death penalty. It, just looking at the, the nature of that, I, I'm reminded of the account in, in the Gospel according to John, 
where the religious leaders bring before Jesus the woman caught in adultery. And, and reading this verse in Leviticus 20, it's striking that there's no man that they bring before Jesus. I think it, again, I, I know that maybe is a bit of a tangent, but it, oftentimes these chapters of Scripture provide us important context with what we read in the Gospels. And I think that context helps us to see perhaps the, the more nefarious nature. They're not really interested in, in trying to bring about any sort of justice. They're just trying to trap Jesus by the fact that there's not a man present. Well, it, what's rather interesting is, is, is this is what uh, one of the things that people might find interesting about the Code of Hammurabi, which was, of course, uh, long before uh, the book of uh, Leviticus and, and Moses and, and, uh, and the, at that time. But uh, in the Code of Hammurabi, if there was a wife who was accused of being unfaithful to her husband, uh, and, and it was found to be true that she was unfaithful to her husband, she should be, uh, it was either thrown into the Euphrates River and drowned or burned alive. Uh, but e- even if she was even found to be not guilty, if she, uh, it, just so her husband would not lose face or, or uh, be uh, subjected to any type of embarrassment, she should allow herself to be executed. <laughs> and so you, yeah. you can see that uh, the ancient world had a very different view of, of the place of women in life. Absolutely. Whereas, whereas the law that God gives very much protects the life of, of women and the life of the, the family, we certainly see the, again, although these are describing the penalties for the abuse of marriage, sexuality, and the life of the family, the fact that God goes to such pains to describe these penalties and these perversions against those is a reminder of just how precious a gift marriage and sexuality within marriage and the gift of family that then results, those are very precious gifts. And so the the law of the Lord often very much stands in distinction to the laws of, of pagan society, certainly the worship of pagan society when it comes to these matters. And, and, and this is through the family, God has established the manner in which people are brought into the world into a loving uh, society known as the family, the nuclear family, the, uh, the extended family, whatever, uh, that, and that, that is God, how God uh, procreates humanity today and how God um, establishes order and peace and, and what is wholesome in society. And, that, and, this is, and when, whenever uh, people engage in, in this type of behavior, they are, they're actually destroying uh, themselves. They're committing suicide. Well, that's rather, rather interesting that Dr. Kleinig in his commentary says they're, they're actually committing suicide when they attack the, uh, the manner and the, and the uh, system that God has created. Yeah, and I mean, again, we, we talked a little bit about this in, in chapter 18, because when it comes to the matter of uncovering the nakedness of someone, that was the way that it was phrased over and over again in chapter 18. And again, what's new here in chapter 20 are the penalties that are described, not for every single situation that was there, but the, the fact that it's, you know, it continues to be these various family members. It, you're right, what Dr. Kleinick says about the, that that's basically committing suicide is because you're destroying yourself because you're destroying part of your family, and that's a, that's a part of who you are. And I think that's something that in our day and age, we're often a very individualistic society. We kind of forget those, those very interconnected relationships with our family, and, and seeing, again, the way that God ties those things together, we see the great harm that can be caused, but again, can also then rejoice in the, the beauty when we, we receive those as gifts from God and live in the holiness that he's given within those relationships.
Yes, and and you know it's interesting. What one of the things that that puzzled me about these uh, particular laws uh, was the one about uh, a a man uh, having sexual relations with a woman who is menstruating, and uh, it it mentions uh, that's in verse eighteen where it says it uncovers her fountain. Um, Dr. Kleinig points out that um, there was the understanding that. In, in a woman's body, there, that was sort of the manner, the spring from which, hum, uh, which humanity uh, is brought forth by God. And so it, it is, is inappropriate for his people, you know, even in a married relationship, even a husband and wife, at least according to this, this is more ceremonial law, of course, as, as, as they put it. But by doing that, it, it, uh, it in some way, um, defiles or taints this uh, fountain of, of the manner in which humanity comes into the world. And so that's the reason that for the seriousness uh, of, of this kind of, uh, uh, and, but, but it's more ceremonial probably and, and related to ritual cleanness. Right. Yeah. And I mean, those, those details take us back into, say, Leviticus chapter 15 in the matters of clean and unclean when it comes to, to various discharges. And, and there it was, was noted that a, a man who lies with his, his wife, and it's really, it seems accidental there in chapter 15, that it's, it's early on and it's, it's not, a, neither one had the intention. There's that short time of uncleanness, you take a bath and then you're clean by the end of, of that day. But it, here, yeah, that purposefulness of it is what's in view. And as you said, the, the nature of the life-giving function, the way that God has designed that, you know, again, that is upheld as a good thing, and when we as as human beings try to take matters into our own hands and misuse those, especially for the people of Israel in the ceremonial sense, we we run counter to the way that God has designed it. And so that use of yeah, the word fountain here in that regard helps to bring some of those things to light. Again, you you can see here just how how much the the perversions against the good gifts of God in marriage and sexuality they hurt so much, right? It's such a good gift that when we misuse it, the hurt, the misery, the sorrow is is magnified. It's it's striking as we read through this list, and it's not a comfortable thing to read. It, it fills us with shame as we think about these things. But it is striking to see that even as we live in a world that seems to find brand new ways to break the Sixth Commandment all the time, these things are not necessarily new. As Solomon reminds us, there's nothing new under the sun to the effect that God has has rules here against bestiality and homosexuality. People have been breaking the Sixth Commandment in all kinds of ways throughout human history, and God has continually needed to say, don't do those things, that's a misuse of the good gift. And, and, but you know, and what's really interesting, too, is, is that uh, by persons um, being, uh, you know, married to persons that are close kin to them, that there is a danger of of um, recessive genes from coming through and sure. and children from being deformed. Uh, what's rather interesting in the ancient Egyptian culture, uh, the the pharaohs would marry their sisters, their full blood sisters, um, and 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 one might think that in, in the beginning of the world, when there was were very few people, there may have been a time in which um, brothers and sisters or uh, other persons that were closely related would be married to each other. Uh, but anyway, so this this uh, pass these passages of scripture to- tell us 
uh, what we deal with in pastoral theology as pastors, where where there are fo- uh, folks that want to be married and and that they shouldn't be married to someone they are uh, closely related to. Now, in in I think in um, uh, in civil law, in our civil law, you you may not you you may marry your second cousin, but you cannot marry your full cousin. Although it's what's rather interesting is that in all of these this legislation, there is nothing about cousins marrying each other, at least uh, biblically. Um, but of course, uh, in in the in civil law, that would not be permitted. Yeah. So in many cases, the law that God gives to His people has a very practical effect. There is there is practical wisdom to it, as well as theological significance. The theological significance is especially where the the chapter begins to to draw to a conclusion. In verse twenty two, the Lord reminds His people, "You need to keep these commandments, my rules. You need to do them in the land that I'm bringing you, so that it wouldn't vomit you out." And so we we get this warning about the land vomiting them out, potentially, because that's what's happening to the, or it's what's going to happen to the Canaanites when the people of Israel get there. Talk to, about, talk to us about this, the land vomiting people out. Uh, Dr. Kleinig, in his commentary, says that uh, the, manner, the way people treat their human bodies, they, their body is a microcosm of the land. Um, and and so and of course you know we would look at that he's making a uh, a metaphor there that's kind of a metaphoric understanding there think of think of the land as being a person a human being and them eating something uh, food that is poisoned or tainted that uh, the the body reacts by by vomiting it forth uh, what what was uh, tainted and and uh, and harmful. And so, in, in a sense, with this understanding where God is saying, you know, I am uh, the one who um, rules the land, you are my people, you are a people that are set apart uh, from evil and from what is unclean and what is sinful, and you are to obey me, that uh, in, in this way you are to not be like something tainted that would cause someone to vomit. Mm. And so, I mean, you know, it's, it's striking then. The Lord says, hey, the people who are there, they are going to be vomited out because of this. So don't become prideful thinking that you couldn't have the same thing happen to you, because if you fall into this detestable practices, then the same thing will happen to you. There's a, a and, and this comes through especially like in the book of Deuteronomy later in the, the Pentateuch, where there's a, a, a reminder that the people can't be prideful, but they must continue to ke- cling to the Lord and His Word, lest they fall into the same idolatry and the same penalties be placed upon them. Exactly, and and uh, but but you know there is also the spiritual penalties that are given, where it speaks about sure. the people being cut off from their people. Uh, in other words, also, let's say maybe they get away with things in this life and, and abominable crimes that ultimately uh, on the last day they will be held accountable by God for, for their actions, that God um, you know, will hold them accountable. And that, of course, is where we flee uh, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who uh, is able to save us uh, from, from the uh, eternal damnation uh, that is that is merited by this. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul talks about, or I think in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 or something, where he mentions some of these uh, detestable practices. And then he says, such were some of you, but you have been washed, you have been sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the difference between some of the penalties that are described here. Some of them, there is the the execution that happens very physically, but some of them it is described as being cut off by the Lord, where those maybe less public sins, the ones that aren't known to the entire community, there's not that public penalty that comes, but the Lord has seen, and the Lord knows, and the Lord will bring justice on the last day. Now, again, for, for us as Christians, this is where we're going to to make the turn to the way that we see the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ, which certainly is, is present in the book of Leviticus. I mean, think about the sacrifices, the blood that's shed, the way that God provides for atonement and for holiness to be given. All this is pointing toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got about five minutes here, Pastor Boyce Claire. Help us to, to make some connections in this chapter, which has been all about penalties, pretty much. How do we how do we see our Lord Jesus in in these words? We we are given to understand here that sin is something that is very serious, that it is not a trifle, that God takes sin very very seriously, and and um, as as Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so when, 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 uh, our, when God's Ten Commandments, when we, and, and, and basically there, there's um, a number of the Ten Commandments that are in play in this particular chapter, that, that where like persons that commit adultery are, are, are executed, uh, persons that uh, curse their parents are executed, persons that commit uh, abominable uh, sexual acts are also by the, by the government put to death. Uh, you know, it, it, it is something that God is opposed to. You know, every religion has uh, something that, uh, an evil that they try to overcome. Uh, specifically, uh, the Buddhist religion wishes to people to overcome pain. And so that's why they do have meditation and getting into a state of nirvana and so on. The, the, um, in the um, uh, Gnostic religion, which wanted to replace Christianity in the first centuries of, of, our, of, of the years of our Lord, um, they thought that the evil was material things. But in, in biblical Christianity, uh, the problem is sin. And so the only one who atones for that sin is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has taken all of the punishment, all, all of the punishment you can possibly imagine throughout uh, the, 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 the uh, suffering for the, uh, the, in his precious conscience that, that he was guilty of the sins of all people. Uh, you know, the, in, in a sense, his death was horrendous, but he was able to, to uh, go through it and to be put to death for our offenses and then raised again for our justification. And so that's, that's basically what we should look at here, that this is what we want to be delivered from. And, G and the only deliverance is through Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah, and this is where the Old Testament laws, especially when it comes to the civil laws concerning the death penalty for these sins, for example, even the way that I, I talked about the one with the fourth commandment, that seems harsh to us, that someone would be put to death for cursing father and mother. And, and yes, we talked about how there are very, this is a very serious thing, but even then we still kind of look at that like, really? Do we really need to put someone to death for breaking the fourth commandment? To see the very physical ways that this is put into practice in the Old Testament is that great reminder of our sin and its seriousness, and how much this does actually separate us from God. 
He does not desire us to be separate from him. He, As he tells his people, I separated you from the people so that you would belong to me. I want you to be with me, not to be apart from me. And these things will separate you from the Lord. And so to see the physical way that it happens in the Old Testament is a reminder of just how how horrible our sin actually is, even if we don't see those same physical penalties. So that, as, as you've said, that reminds us of just how how much our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in taking that penalty upon himself. He endures this execution in our place so that we would be delivered and, and receive the gift of everlasting life and not be separated from our Lord, but rather be united to him forever. About two minutes, Pastor Boyce Claire, for final thoughts, help us to wrap things up on Leviticus 20. Yes, I mean, the, the, what the Holy Spirit does for us, he does in accordance with his name. That is, make us holy. Uh, you know, ultimately, he makes us holy through uh, our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that that righteousness, that holiness that Jesus has done is something which is imputed to us. And, and his death on the cross, of course, brings to us the forgiveness of our sins. That ultimately makes us holy before God. God has reconciled himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then as those who have been transformed, the new creation through holy baptism and through the power of God's word, the spirit working through uh, the external word, then, then we are begin to live as Jesus would have us live. Uh, to, to live lives which are separate from evil, separate from sin, and that when, whenever we fall into sin, uh, that we, we know who to turn to in repentance to trust that he has that righteousness which covers us purely and brings us to eternal life. Pastor David Boisclair is interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. He's been helping us today to study Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 to 27. Pastor Boisclair, thanks for being our guest today. It is my pleasure. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Leviticus chapter 20, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you.